Thank you, Matt. Good morning to everybody. Morning. Great to be together today. Isn't it wonderful? Be able to come together and all of us, so many of us come together and worship God and be together. Striving to be what, the church, what God wants us to be as his church. If you're visiting with us today, we encourage you to think about everything that we are doing and saying and how we're worshiping God. And also, as we teach God's word, if you have any questions, please ask us. We keep saying we just want to be the church that we all read about in the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And we strive diligently to live up to that model. You're a blessing to us if you're worshiping with us today. And we pray that this will be a blessing for you as we study God's word and worship him together. Good to be together, really is. Going to continue in this series. This is the fourth in the series of lessons that I have prepared talking about the devil's worst day. The devil's worst day. I really like that particular graphic that uh, Damon put up there as kind of uh, just an introduction into this particular study. We think about the devil and a lot of times people really just kind of, you know, brush him off. They kind of, you know, lower the estimation in their mind of how we ought to be thinking about him. I've said many times, he's not some cute little guy four feet tall in red flannel pajamas with a long pointed tail and a few short horns sticking up and, and then maybe also uh, the idea of carrying a little pitchfork in his hand. That's not the devil. That's not the devil. The devil is our mortal enemy. No question about it. He is our deadliest enemy. He is seeking our eternal condemnation. He's mean, he's deadly, and the devil is determined in what he's doing. Again, Peter portrays him in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. He says, be sober, be vigilant. In other words, be alert, be on guard, keep your eyes open because your adversary, your enemy, one who stands against you, the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Now again, as I've been emphasizing, if we knew that, that there was a wild animal, a wild lion walking around in our front yard, we'd stay in the house, we'd be calling the authorities because we understand the danger there for us. That wild lion, he's going to jump upon us and kill us and tear us apart and eat us. Now that may sound rather gross and graphic, but we understand that's how, that's how Peter wanted us to understand the image, the reality of what the devil is pertaining to our personal lives. He's not a cute, cuddly little guy. There's nothing good about him, nothing nice about him. He is the worst of all possibly imagined enemies, and he's always there, always there, working on humanity and working upon us. Now, as we've gone through this particular study so far, we've talked about three days where the devil really had bad days. First in Revelation chapter 12, verses seven through nine, the text tells us there was war in heaven and the devil somehow led a group of followers, angels we I think we're to understand, who digressed from faith in God and started following him and he was going to usurp God's throne, but he lost. He fought against Michael and his angels and he did not prevail and, and subsequently he was cast out of heaven and down to the earth and so this is where he does his work now. 
He could not conquer God. The only way he can, he can hurt God is to try to pull us away from God and into the condemnation of sin. Because we're created in God's image. And so if he can pull us away from God, even though we're created in God's image with a soul, then he can hurt God in that way. But when he was cast out of heaven and down to the earth, that was a really bad day for the devil. And then we saw in, in Eden, the Garden of Eden, when God had created that first man and woman, put them in the garden, gave them access to the tree of life and all of the necessities and needs of life to be able to continue to live upon this earth forever. Again, created in God's own image, Genesis 1 verses 26 and 27. The devil showed up on the scene and started going about his work. And so he successfully lured them into sin and in that way into death. Because God had warned, you don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Well, he removed them from the tree of life because he expelled them from the garden of Eden. And also then physical death became a reality, but also remember Isaiah 59 and verse two. Our iniquities separate us from God. And so spiritual death also set in. And so the devil must have thought, great, great. He created these, these, the beginning of the human race here. And I've already led them away from God. But God stepped in in verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3. And he initiated the plan for man's redemption that he already had in mind. Because being omniscient, he already knew man was going to mess up and sin. And so... He told the devil, and you have to understand the language there, that the seed of the woman, the Savior would come in human form, and he will bruise your head. Now, you're going to bruise his heel. You're going to cause him some problems. You're going to cause people to not believe in him in some cases, and you're going to cause persecution against him, and he's ultimately going to die on the cross. But if we could look, if the devil could have looked, all the way into the depths of, of that particular uh, persecution that he would raise against Jesus, God was going to use even that as the sacrifice through which mankind could be forgiven of their sins and redeemed and saved. And as we have remembered his death on the cross a few moments ago through partaking of the Lord's Supper. And then th that again, bad day for the devil. And then we noted the devil must have really thought he had done it this time because in Genesis chapter 6, God looked upon mankind as a whole and said, the thoughts and intents of his heart is only evil continually. Everybody, almost everybody in the world had turned away from God into sin and the devil must have been jumping up and down thinking, I did it this time. I got him back, except for Noah. And Noah was found righteous in God's eyes. And so Noah and his family, through them, God cleansed the world of unrighteousness, literally through the flood, and gave humanity a new start, a fresh do-over through Noah and his family. Again, a really bad day for the devil. We need to never give the devil any place in our lives. Ephesians 4 and verse 27 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, we need to, again, recognizing who he is and the danger to our eternal existence, eternal future. We need to always stay on guard and we need to understand we don't have to give in to the devil. We don't have to let him win in our lives. We can beat the devil through the power of God working in us, guiding us. 
to stay faithful, to live in obedience to him. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 1 John 4 and verse 4. So we can take heart. As big and bad as the devil is, we can beat the devil. God will give us the ability, the protection, the guidance, and the power to do exactly that. Now, we must never give up. The devil works on humanity one person at a time. And this particular lesson in this series, I want us to understand the personal nature of that. He works on humanity one person at a time, and that means you and me, and that makes it very personal. So we look at the account of Job and how the devil worked Job over. And that should impress upon us. He focuses not just on a whole nation, not just on a whole continent, not just on a whole culture or even the whole world. He focuses on one person even. He zeroes in on that one person and works on person after person after person. And that's personal. That's personal for each one of us. A striking example of just how personal is the devil's focus upon us as individuals is the account of Job. A lesson on just how personal it is to us. Job's account helps us understand that. Note how Job is identified in scripture in the first three verses of Job chapter one. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job and that man was blameless. Might make us think about Noah. That man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. Frustrating the devil, of course, and trying to work on Job. And seven sons, he had, he had seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. What a description of Job. How God had blessed him. But the most important features of that description and identity was he was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. Blessed with seven sons, three daughters, and great material wealth. Now, an incredible scene follows that description of Job and identifying him and kind of introducing the account of Job for us through the next 40 plus chapters of scripture. We look then in this incredible scene where Satan presents himself before God and he asks for latitude to work Job over. Now again, we need to understand the personal nature of the devil's focus on each one of us. He wanted Job. He wanted Job. And so he, he petitioned God, let me work him over. And so when we look in verses 6 through 12, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. That's an incredible imagery right there in my mind. 
That's, of course, in the spiritual realm, behind the scenes of what we understand and, and live in in the physical realm. So Satan answered, or the Lord asked Satan, he said to him, from where do you come? Now think about this next statement from Satan. So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. As I said, going back to Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9, he was expelled from heaven. There was no more place for him there. He was cast down to the earth and his angels with him. And this is where he does his work. This is his playground. So he tells God, I've been going to and fro on the earth. I've been walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And so God confronts Satan. How about Job? You may have been going to and fro upon the earth, walking back and forth upon it. You may have had some successes in luring people into sin, leading them ultimately to their potential destruction in hell. But have you thought about my servant Job? Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan said to the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the works of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. And then Job is, or, or Satan and the devil is challenging God. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. Devil's asking God, let me work him over. I'll get him to curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Went out from the presence of the Lord. Now in waging a battle for Job's soul, you talk about working him over. The devil dealt devastating blows to, to, to Job, one after another, in rapid succession. Robbing him of all of his flocks and herds, killing many of his servants, and killing all 10 of his children. What an incredible day. What an incredible day. The devil is referred to in this particular text as Satan, meaning adversary, as we remember back in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. One who stands against you, your enemy in other words. But there is no enemy in human form that begins to match up to what a horrible and dangerous and deadly enemy the devil is to us, each and every one of us. He is an adversary of God because he keeps challenging God. But more personally, he is our adversary. And we see that graphically in how he tries to get Job to deny God, to curse God and die. Well, in one day, he dealt devastating blows to Job. And then we drop down to verse 20. Even so, even in that one day, the servants, the surviving servants working for Job, one after another were coming to him and said, this herd was stolen, enemies fell upon it. All the servants are killed. I alone have escaped. One after another. All of his flocks and herds were gone. 
And then the most devastating of all from an emotional perspective and a personal perspective. That servant came and said, a great wind blew up and killed all of your children. They're all dead. I alone have survived. But even so, Job, after all of that, he worshiped God. Verses 20 through 22. Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. With wrong. Another bad day for the devil. Might have thought all of those blows in rapid succession on one day, surely that's going to break Job down and he's going to be mad at God and he's going to curse him and die. Going to deny his faith in God. But Job worshiped God instead. Did not sin. Did not charge God with wrong. Again, another bad day for the devil. Oh, but old Satan wasn't finished with Job yet. No, not at all. He went back to God and he asked for even more leeway to work Job over. We read the text beginning with verse 4 of Job chapter 2. So Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Now remember, God told him, you can't touch his person. You can't touch his physical body. Can't do anything to him physically. And so Satan said, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. Oh, you can work him over. Use your imagination, but you cannot take his life. Cannot take his life. Well, the devil, after asking for that extra leeway, that extra latitude, being given more of an opportunity to work him over in a worse way than he had already, and that was horrible, he worked on Job next through physical infirmity and pain. In verses 7 through 8, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took himself a potsherd, that is Job did, with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. I cannot imagine the agony that Job must have gone through. We're talking about painful sores, boils probably from the top of his head all the way down his body to the soles of his feet. They were everywhere. And he was trying to get relief by scraping those off. Physical, physical infirmity and pain. And then the devil did not stop there. He used Job's wife to try to tempt him further. His wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Speaking to her husband, Job. Curse God and die. Get this over with. 
Why would God let you, this happen to you? That's the, that's the mindset of a whole lot of people. When something negative happens in their life, whether it's some kind of financial or relational setback or death or illness or infirmity or injury of some kind, they're getting mad at God. Why would God let this happen? The atheists, the agnostics, the skeptics, they, they throw that question at Christians. They say, if God is all powerful, why would he let people suffer? If God is loving, why would he let people go through that kind of thing? The answer is because bottom line sin. And that's not saying that God is punishing them for their sin. It's just the fact that sin changed everything going back to the Garden of Eden. We go through physical death and all of the kinds of suffering and agony that goes with that kind of situation. God gave us the opportunity to live forever on this earth. The tree of life was in that garden. But mankind turned away from God and into sin when, de when the devil worked on them. And so the reality of all of the pain, all of the suffering, all of the agony, all of the dying, everything that goes with death, that's now our reality. And when you read Revelation chapter, chapter 7, uh, or chapter 7 I believe it is, and then again, in the closing chapters of the Revelation, it describes what reality is like in heaven or will be like in heaven for us. As we live faithfully before God here on this earth, there is no more dying, there is no more sickness, there is no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. Exactly the opposite of what we experience here. And what God initially offered us to be able to experience here. Even Job's wife tried to get him to turn away from God. But Job rebuked her. You speak as one of the foolish women speaks, he told her. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now someone might ask, well, what, did he sin in other ways? No, that's not what we're to understand at all. She tempted him, suggested to him to curse God and die. That would be sins of the lips. But he did not give in to that even. But the devil still was not finished with Job. That was another bad day in itself for the devil. But he still was not finished. Three of Job's supposed friends came to visit him after they heard what he was going through. In chapter four, beginning with verse seven, the first of those supposed friends, and if we had friends like this, I'm not sure that we ought to call them friends. But the first one, Eliphaz, he began to chastise Job. Maybe at least reasoning with him, but he was trying to accuse Job, you must be you must be trying to simply deceive yourself and maybe everybody else around you because all these things have been happening to you surely. And that would have been a superstitious belief of the culture of that day and even to today to some extent by a lot of people, something bad happens to you, it must be punishment from God for something you've done that was really bad. And that again, we need to get that out of our head. But Eliphaz, he starts to work on Job. He says, whoever perished being innocent or where were the upright ever cut off 
Even as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the blast of God, they perish, and by the breath of his anger, they are consumed. And so Eliphaz, a supposed friend, is telling Job, wake up, buddy. Stop deceiving yourself. Stop lying. Surely, you you need to admit you've been a big sinner. That's why God struck you like this. Now, Bildad, he simply followed suit along the same line as Eliphaz had in chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. Bildad, the Shuhite, answered and said, How long will you speak these things? And the words of your mouth be like a strong wind. I think we can understand there, like you're just blowing smoke. Does God subvert judgment or does the Almighty pervert justice? If your sons have sinned against him, now what that must have conjured up in, in, in Job's mind, the suggestion here, his sons all died just a short time ago. And so here's Bildad, if your sons have sinned against him, he has cast them away for their transgression. If you would earnestly seek God and make your supplication to the Almighty, if you were pure and upright, surely he would awake for you and prosper your rightful dwelling place. And so the implication, and not very subtle at all, from both Bildad and, 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 and Eliphaz as, look, wake up, Job. You must be a big sinner because God's done all this to you. Admit it. Be forthright about it. The third friend, Zophar, was probably the most blunt of all three of them. Chapter 11, we're coming back to the last thing that, that, Bildad, uh, that, that uh, Bildad said. So, so are the paths of all who forget God, and the hope of the hypocrite shall perish. And again, those are statements of implication, suggested implication upon Job. You must be a big sinner. But listen to Zophar, chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. So Zophar, the Naamathite, answered and said, Should not the multitude of words be answered? And should a man full of talk be vindicated? Should your empty talk make men hold their peace? And when you mock, should no one rebuke you? Now he's really confronting Job here. Strong language. For you have said, my doctrine is pure and I am clean in your eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open his lips against you. That he would show you the secrets of wisdom, for they would double your prudence. Know therefore that God exacts from you What God has done to you, in other words, at this point, less than your iniquity deserves. And so the sense is from Zophar, you deserve more than what you've been suffering. If God really exacted judgment fully upon you, it'd be a lot worse than what you're already experiencing. As you read through the rest of the text of Job, down to the closing chapters. Job never cursed God, but we might see his faith kind of weaken some as he begins questioning, why have you let this happen to me, God? And then God confronts Job and he begins asking him, tell me something, where were you 
when I created the earth? Where were you when I created this particular beast? Where were you when I did this? Where were you when I did that? And I can imagine the blood from Job's face just kind of draining, going white. God's speaking to him. And Job realizes, I messed up here. He never cursed God. He never denied God. But he's questioning, why did you let this happen to me? Why did you bring this upon me? And God said, who are you to question me? Basically is the, is, is, is the sense of God, God's confrontation with Job. And so in chapter 42, beginning with verse 5, Job comes clean before God. He repented before God of any sin that he might have been guilty of. Now, he never denied God. He never lost faith in God as far as being God. He never cursed him. He never, none of that. But he, he was wondering, why is this happening to me? Why are you letting this happen to me? Why maybe are you bringing this upon me? I've been true to you. And God said, who are you to question me? It's a long discourse. God keeps asking him questions. And Job, he comes to realize, uh, I shouldn't have been saying these things. In chapter 42, beginning with verse 5, I have heard of you by, hearing, by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And he becomes very contrite before God. Repentant that he had even thought the things that he had thought, questioning God. God blessed Job in response with more than he had blessed him with to begin with in his life. In verse 10, the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Interesting, interesting. We read a little bit further. It was truly, truly, as God continued to bless Job, restored his children. Now, those were dead, were dead, but he restored him with 10 more children. And he gave him twice as much in the form of material and physical blessings as what he had blessed him with to begin with. It was another really bad day for the devil. And then... We need to understand, again, as long as we walk with God, God will always walk with us. As long as we hold his hand, he will never let go of ours. Remember what Jesus told Simon Peter on the night of his betrayal. He said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you. Now, Imagine that image. Remember the detailed account where the devil appears before God twice and asks for God to allow him to work Job over. And here Jesus is about to go to the cross. The next day he'd be on the cross and he says, Simon, Simon, one of his apostles, one seemingly kind of a, a, one of a closer inner circle. He said, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Now, Peter went on and responded to the Lord and said, I'm ready. I'm ready to die with you if necessary. I'm not going to deny you. But then Jesus said, before the cock crows in the morning, you'll deny me three times. This very night, you're going to deny me three times. Peter didn't believe it. But he did exactly as Jesus had foretold.
Three times that the very night, Peter denied Christ. Now he repented. He became a powerful gospel preacher, a leader within the church, an elder, and how he must have shuddered. The text tells us that when the cock crowed that next morning and he had just finished denying Christ for the third time, he wept bitterly. And how that memory must have come to his mind through the rest of his life. Is the devil trying to sift you like wheat right now? Something going on in your life and you're having a real tough time with it? Or is the devil putting questions in your mind about God and his love for you? Is he trying to work you over? Remember how personally he does his work. But again, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Again, walk with God faithfully, obediently, consistently, and there's no room for the devil in your life. Be the Christian that God wants you to be. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. As long as you're walking with God, you have to be alert and on guard. Be vigilant. Be awake always for the devil's devices. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, be strong in the Lord. But then he lays out the implements of the Christian armor that God has provided for you. Put those on every day. Wear them all through the day. Walk with God. And you'll beat the devil. You'll give the devil another bad day, day after day after day. You see, is the devil real? Is he powerful? Yes. But we don't have to fear the devil as we're, if we're walking with God. But is he working on you? Something going on in your life that he's really using to try to break you down or try to maybe relax your commitment to God? How Saul of Tarsus must have shuddered to realize that he had been so absolutely wrong in not believing in Jesus and in persecuting Christians. And when Ananias, sent by the Lord to teach him the gospel, said, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Saul obeyed and his life changed. Do you need to make a change in your life? Do you need to study some more? We'll help you with that if you'll ask us. Do you need the prayers of the church? We'll pray with you and for you if you'll ask us. Do you need to be baptized into Christ so the blood that he shed on the cross for you can cleanse you of the guilt of your sins? We'd love to help you with that. If you need to come, you can beat the devil. Give him another bad day by coming to Christ as we stand and sing.